1: with Keller Williams Realty in Raleigh, North Carolina. She works the Triangle, Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill. Last year, she closed 37 transactions with a total sales volume of $7 million. Her average sales price was 189000 54% were buyers and 46% were sellers. She operates a team with four members, one client care specialist, two buyer specialists, and one team leader. Christina Valkanoff is the team leader of the Christina Valkanoff Realty Group. She has been an agent for nine years. Christina focuses on building relationships with her sphere of influence to generate repeat and referral business. The last few years have brought many changes to her business. In 2009 Christina closed 46 transactions worth 10.1 million with one administrative assistant. It was fun, but it took its toll. Christina was burned out after working from 6 in the morning to 9 at night, 7 days a week. Then she decided to start a family. With a baby on the way, Christina knew she had to do things different to make time for the new baby and her husband. Christina decided to expand her team and reduce her hours. This year, business is up 30% over last year. She works 3 to 4 days a week, and she spends time with her 4-month-old daughter. Listen closely to how she made the transition from single agent to team leader. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Christina.
0: Glad to be here. I'm really excited about today.
1: Before we get into what you're doing today, I'd first like to go back and talk about what did you do before you got into real estate?
0: I really don't know anything other than real estate. I um, got my real estate license right out of high school and went to the University of North Carolina State, and went to Meredith College, two colleges in North Carolina, um, where I majored in um, business marketing and interior design. And um, I worked for one of the top teams through college and kind of learned the real estate industry and kind of knew that that's what I wanted to do. So real estate is all I know. I haven't really done anything else other than real estate.
1: You said you worked for one of the top teams in what capacity?
0: I was a buyer's agent. I wanted to kind of see what um, some of the top teams here locally do um, and see how I could learn and grow from them to start my business once I graduated from college.
1: Why did you choose real estate?
0: my dad had actually um, just was retiring my senior year of of high school and he decided to get his real estate license. And so my last year of high school consisted of me um, helping him with um, his real estate career, kind of being his assistant, doing flyers and things like that. And it really piqued my interest and I absolutely fell in love with um, selling real estate and kind of what the industry brought. So Helping my dad um, as he entered his second career really enabled me to see that it was something that I had a great amount of interest in.
1: You were working for that top team, was that part-time or full-time?
0: Part-time, because I was in school full-time, double majoring um, in marketing and interior design. So it was part-time.
1: Were you working just during the summers or during the school year as well? During the school year as well. You were putting in a lot of hours. Yes once you got out of college and you went into real estate full-time, did you have a fast start or a slow start?
0: I would say I had a fast start. I just kind of started when the market was, when we were in, if you will, our bubble. Um, so I started in a time where um, things were just really great here locally. We could just put a sign in the, the yard and the house would sell. And, you know, buyers only had one or two options and they had to buy within the Hour of seeing the house, or it was sold. So um, I, I was pretty fortunate with the market we were in, and um, I, you know I would say um, I got a pretty good start when I first started.
1: Where is Raleigh, North Carolina?
0: Raleigh, North Carolina is one of the best places to live in the nation. Um, it is on the East Coast. Um, we are about two hours from the ocean and about two hours from the mountains which is um, very appealing to a lot of people. Um, we are actually the state capital of North Carolina and um, we have a lot of great things to offer here. You can see in Forbes magazine and a lot of the top rankings were ranked as one of the best places to live, one of the best places to start a business, one of the best places to meet people. Um, we have just truly a, a unique um Place here locally in Raleigh, where you know we have the government headquarters. We have some of the top universities with UNC and Duke and NC State, um, right all within a 15 minute you know radius. We have world renowned hospitals with UNC Hospital, Duke, Rex, Wake Med. Um, Then we also have what's called um, RTP, the Research Triangle Park, which is a huge IT hub for companies like Cisco and SAS. Um, IBM. So we have lots of different facets that keep our market going and thriving, um, from government to education to healthcare um, to IT and you know entrepreneurship ventures.
1: Describe your current real estate market.
0: Our market, it's like I sit with a lot of sellers and tell them, you know, we're in the same market that everyone else is in across the country. Um, It's a declining market right now. Um, You know, we do have an oversupply of homes on the market, depending on what price point you're talking about. depends upon the, um, you know, supply that's on the market. Um, I'd say our average sales price is um, around the mid-200s, and, you know, things will sell. Um, I like to tell all of my sellers, it is a tough market, um, there, there are a lot of things you need to think about and be prepared for when selling your home. I describe our market kind of as, um, it's, it's, I, I tell all my sellers that it's, it's like a beauty pageant right now, that if you don't get all dressed up, you're not going to win. So you have to have all the facets and you have to have everything just perfect and pretty to get that prize, to get that buyer. So we make sure that all of our properties are priced well, we make sure they're staged right, and that they look great, and then you get the buyers. So it's a tough market, but if you do the right things, you can achieve your goals and and be sold.
1: Do you know what your average days on the market is right now?
0: Our average days is hovering around 90 to 120 days, depending on what price point you're really talking about. Um, Different price points are are at different days on market and different locations, too, um, we have some really kind of hot markets, if you will, as hot as they can be in this economy. And then we have some, you know, markets that are a little bit slower. So a lot of times we, 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 seg- we take our markets and kind of break it down um, to really look at average days on market.
1: In your market, do you have a lot of retail sales or are you seeing a lot of REO and short sales? We have a good amount of both.
0: We have, I, I think the last Um, stats that I saw were about 20% of our market were REOs and, you know, foreclosures. I think that's what I saw recently. So, um, and it just depends on what price point you're talking about again.
1: In your market, do you have a niche or a specialization?
0: Having a niche, I think, is very important in our industry. However, right now, I think that being diversified has been really beneficial for me. You know, there are a lot of agents that pro Primarily focused on that luxury market, um, which is a very tough market right now. And I think I've been very fortunate that I have been a pretty diverse agent throughout my career where I did the luxury market. I did the first time home buyers. I did the relocation buyers. So to be honest, I have really um, sharpened my pencil, if you will, with a um, broad spectrum of um, buyers and sellers. So my team and I are very nimble, if you will. We're able to work with a large variety of of types of people and properties.
1: Please list the different ways that you generate leads and business.
0: My team and I focus on um, a primary way of generating business and generating leads, and that is working our sphere and working people that we know. And um, we do a lot of different things. It's a systematic approach for us. Everything we do, we make sure we stay in touch with all of our past clients, all of our sphere, all of our friends, our family, everyone that's really in our spectrum of people. We stay in touch with them. They hear from us in the summer. We send them a free um, ice cream cone or a free blizzard. Um, we drop off pumpkins at their homes at Halloween. Um, they get birthday cards from me. They get updates on what the market's doing from me. They get emails. They get handwritten notes. They get phone calls. We really stay in tune with our sphere. Um, and that's our primary um, you know, lead generation tool um, is working the people that we know and that know us and trust us and value us as their real estate experts and that can send us to all their friends and family.
1: Who is in the database? You mentioned past clients, people that you know. Are you just adding anybody that you come into contact with or are you very selective about who goes in there?
0: I think that... Identifying who will go into the database and who will not go into the database is a big kind of, uh, a lot of agents feel one way and a lot of agents feel another. Um, I personally am of the school of thought that in our database, we really put people in there that we have um, direct relationships with. So everyone from service providers to past clients to people that we really know um, or that have done business with us, we don't put strangers in our database. We have a we, – we put them in a database, but it's a separate database to have, like, drip campaigns and things like that. Our core database of about 500 and some people is really um, people that we know and that know us. Um, a lot of people feel differently, and a lot of people put someone that may just call off a, a sign call um, – you know, in their database. I don't do that. Um, They go into a separate database for drip campaigns and things like that. But our regular database of who we, um, you know, make sure we stay in contact with, we talk with them, you know, if they're getting married or they're having children, um, all those kinds of things. Those are people that we have personal relationships with.
1: What type of data do you try to collect on each person in your database?
0: We are pretty detailed um, every buyer every seller every potential buyer every potential seller Um, we have a seller information and a buyer information sheet and everyone fills this out Um, we gather all the way from their name their information their children's names their pet names their birthday their anniversary their favorite place to eat um, why they want to sell why they want to buy all of those kinds of things we gather and put in the database and that way, if it's if I happen to talk to them, and I know it's their anniversary coming up, I say, hey, congratulations um, on another year. And they are amazed that I remember that their anniversary is coming up or that they got a birthday card from me. Um, or we even we were very good about keeping their home anniversary, and we say congratulations on another birthday in your home. If they send me referrals... Um, I also have um, their favorite restaurant, so I can send them a gift card to go to their favorite restaurant and things like that.
1: How do you respond to a referral?
0: Referrals are the key to our business. My past clients, our friends, our family, that's where our business comes from, and those are always warm leads, and we want those leads. And we want people to know that we appreciate them referring us. So they always get a phone call saying, thank you so much for referring so-and-so to us, they always get a handwritten thank you card and a gift card from me. No matter if they close or not, we appreciate the referral.
1: And you try to get that out the day that you receive the referral?
0: We try to. Sometimes it may take a day or two, but it goes out and it gets to them. and gets on our list.
1: The people in your database, how often do you try to contact them?
0: A lot of agents very purposefully work their database and call their database. Um, I am kind of a little bit different where mine's more of a social um, connection versus a always a business phone call. Um, and every person in my database gets touched at least 10 times a year. Um, we do an email, a letter, a note, something, um, 10 times a year to everyone in the database or a face-to-face
1: visit. Is that on a schedule?
0: Yes. For instance, at the beginning of every year, um, Susan, my assistant, and I sit down and we plan for the entire year what we're going to do. Um, every month, every, so there's no question about us getting busy and forgetting to touch the database. We plan it at the beginning of the year when we do our business plan and um, we know exactly what needs to happen and who's. Who's going to get phone calls? Who's going to get a handwritten note? Who's going to get an email? Who am I going to see? All of that is planned now a year in advance.
1: Do different people in the database receive a different follow-up system?
0: Everyone gets the same, except I have about, I think there's 12 people that I consider my really big refers, meaning people that send us a lot of business and that send us a lot of referrals. And I make sure to focus highly and heavily on those people and um, it may be that I call them and we all go out to dinner. It may be that I invite them over to my home. It may be um, you know there's all different kinds of things that I do for those individual 12 people and I've noted them and I know specifically who they are and I make sure that I um, you know, know that I appreciate them referring business to me.
1: Are there any other types of things that you do for them that are unique or special?
0: It just depends on who they are and what kind of a relationship I have with them. Some of them are very dear friends of mine. We go to the beach. Um, we do different things depending on who they are um, and gift cards, and I just let them know that they are appreciative and that I am thankful for the referrals that they send to me. And they know that whoever they, re- send, they, they refer to me, that they will look like a rock star for referring them because that, that my team and I will take very good care of them.
1: When you are making the phone calls and the letters and the emails out to your database, do you specifically ask for referrals? Yes. In your phone conversation with them, how do you bring that up? What specifically do you say to ask for a referral?
0: It depends. It depends on what time of the year it is, and it depends on what my purpose of my phone call was. Sometimes my phone call is not about business. It's about building the relationship, checking in on them, seeing how their um, sick father or mother is or how their children are doing or how was their anniversary or something like that. It's about the relationship because I really and truly do care about everyone in my database. So it's not always about business. and. Um, the when I am purposeful about it being about business, I make sure I tell them. I say, hey, it's Christina. I'm calling just to say hello and check in. And I just wanted to let you know this is a business call today. Um, I'm calling to see who do you know that's thinking about buying or selling a home.
1: It's very direct. Yes. So you tell them right up front that this is what the call is about.
0: Yes. I say, I'm calling to ask for a referral today. I'm calling to see who you know that's thinking about buying and selling that I can call and talk with and help them have the same experience that you had in buying and selling your home.
1: What kind of result do you typically get when you ask?
0: It's amazing. They go, you know what? So-and-so is thinking about buying or selling. And I say, well, would you mind calling them and asking them if I can give them a call and just tell them, you know, that. I'm your realtor, and that I would love to talk with them, and they're like, "No, and so I get their name and number, and I call them.
1: Do you try to make a certain number of those calls either per day or per week?
0: I do not a lot of agents do. My goal is to become more purposeful in doing that um, right now i am I have so much business and so much going on that making a certain amount of phone calls in the day just hasn't been an option for me um, with the new baby and everything, but my plan within the next 90 days is to implement a certain amount of phone calls and or personal kind of connections a day.
1: Did you say you have a baby?
0: Yes, I have a baby. I have a four-month-old baby.
1: <laughs> well, congratulations.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: How are you juggling having a baby and working at the same time?
0: That's a great question, and I will tell you, um, working and figuring out the dynamics um, of how to create that balanced life, especially in the real estate industry, is very difficult. I wonder what I did with my time before I had the baby. Um, It's very interesting. I'm thinking, I thought I was busy before. I have no idea. (laughs) I had no idea what it consisted of. Um, I will say I have gotten very purposeful about my time and what I do with it. And I do not allow people to infringe on my time with work. When I'm focused on work, it's work time. And when it's time for me to be at home and be with my precious little girl and my husband, it's time for me to be at home and with my precious little girl and husband. So I am very purposeful about um, when I am at work, I'm very focused on that. Um, I have figured out how to time block my schedule so that certain days of the week I'm focused on listing appointments and actually being out face-to-face in front of people, and then certain days of the week I'm in the office where I'm doing the things behind the scenes that need to be done.
1: So you have some type of perfect week?
0: (laughs) I wish I had a perfect week, and I wish I could um, say that, but no, Um, I have try to control my schedule as much as possible to um, achieve everything that I need to achieve within the week um, and also still get that time that I need um, with my baby and my family.
1: How many hours do you think you're working in a typical week?
0: I am usually with the baby two days a week, and I usually work in front of people and out three days a week right now. And those three days a week, for instance, um, Wednesdays are a big appointment day for me. Um, So I'm usually in front of sellers from nine o'clock to seven o'clock. And I book all my listing appointments in one day. And it has started working just phenomenally for me. I I get into kind of the rhythm and I get into the energy of being at a listing appointment and booking all of those appointments in one day is just awesome.
1: How long do you book your listing appointment for?
0: It depends on the house. It depends on the sellers. But typically, I try to always keep it under an hour. And I try to shoot for about 30 to 45 minutes. I'm a little bit different on how I do a listing appointment, I think, than most other agents.
1: In a minute, we're going to get back into that. Let's go back into marketing so we can kind of keep things together. You mentioned something about coupons that you send out, free ice cream cones and free blizzards was that correct yes you're sending those out to your database
0: yes I think of different times of the year of things that would I would like and I think my database would like as a hello and kind of a token of thank you for doing business with me and kind of how are you doing Um, touches if you will um, my husband and I own um, the local Dairy Queen franchise. We have four restaurants and four locations. So what, what I do in the summer when it's 110 degrees here in Raleigh is um, I send out, you know, a little something cute, some sort of marketing piece around staying cool and send them a free blizzard. Um, I just sent out to um, some of my top sphere in my um, database free ice cream cake. So they just go in and redeem their coupons during like the fall. I drop a pumpkin off. Last year, I dropped a pumpkin off at everyone's um, doorstep. It was a lot of work, but huge, huge um, feedback of thank yous. Um, And we tied a cute little card on the top of it. And so we do little things like that at different times of the year to actually give my clients something of appreciation as well.
1: Pumpkin drop off. Did you have to get a truck? How did you get all those pumpkins around?
0: <laughs> we had a truck, and we had a very systematic approach to it, um, and it, was, it just worked. We had about five people that delivered them, and it was, it was good. It worked out well.
1: Did you knock on the door and talk to everyone, or did you just drop them off with a card on the pumpkin?
0: Back when I first got in the business, I had um, homemade cookies with tins, and I had about 100 people that I wanted to see at Christmas time. And we have a local company that makes homemade cookies that are just delicious. Well, I thought it would be such a great idea for me to go and see everyone personally and drop off these hundred tens of cookies. Well, by the end of it, I was shoving them in the mailbox after it was dark and driving off because it had taken so long, I had no idea the amount of time it was going to take um, so to answer your question, no, we did not. A lot of people we did end up seeing face-to-face. It was team members of mine um, in delivering them or people that work with me, some part-time and whatnot. So I did it, my assistant did it, and my buyer agent. So some people we did see, but it wasn't like we purposefully went to see everyone because if we did that, we could have never gotten through it all. Um, but we did send out an email to everyone after we delivered them and said, you know, happy Halloween, happy Halloween, Um, and whatnot with a cute little marketing slogan.
1: What else are you doing to generate business from your sphere of influence database?
0: I do a couple of other things that I think people really appreciate. We have quite a few clients that send us business, and and I just try to personally stop by their offices. I call and say, hey, I'm around the corner. I'm going to run and get some coffee. I wanted to see if I could drop some coffee off. I go by and I purposefully see people because I truly want to see them. And also, you know, I drop by their office and bring them coffee. And a lot of times I can meet people in their offices. Um, I do a lot of things like that to get in front of people. So um, there's probably 30, maybe 40 people a year that I, I, I do that just randomly. If I'm close by or whatnot, I stop by and see them.
1: How did you start this database? Did you just start writing down all the people you knew?
0: Actually, I started it by taking all of my closed transactions and putting them in the database. And and it kind of evolved from there. Um, I had to start somewhere and I knew that the database was the key um, because warm leads are better than an internet lead or a stranger lead. We get a lot of internet leads, we get a lot of stranger leads, but the warm leads are just so much better to work versus a stranger lead. Um, And I started with just um, my past clients, and then I started adding from there. So what, what I would advise everyone is if you don't have a database yet, or you're trying to implement any system. It's not about looking at it as a whole. It's just about starting somewhere, take one piece, and then grow from there.
1: How are you keeping all these people organized? What type of database do you use?
0: I use a system called Top Producer. We can put any kind of information in there. We can make notes. I can make notes every time I talk with someone, you know, what the latest is on them, and so can my team. So I use Top Producer to track my database I also use them. It's very simple to send out an email through Top Producer. It takes us literally five minutes to send an email um, out to the entire database. As well, it's like a mailing and things like that. It's very a simple program that's pretty straightforward and works really well for me.
1: When you are calling back one of your people, do you refer to that database to try to see what your notes were, your comments on them?
0: I should, but I don't.
1: Do you go back after your conversation and make notes in Top Producer?
0: Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I just I have this and and this was my problem when I first got in the business. I have this memory of I can just remember things. So I remember things about people, I remember conversations. So for me when I first started in the business I had everything in my head and that just doesn't work. So I've implemented systems into the business that I absolutely know I have to have. And I'm very good about making notes, I'd say, half of the time in Top producer, and the other half of the time it's in my head. Um, but they're all still there. It's a very easy system to navigate. Um, and I remember, you know, if someone's child is sick or, you know, things like that, I always – I I can just remember it. And I try to be diligent about um, updating it in the database, but sometimes it doesn't happen.
1: Over the years, I assume you've tried a lot of different marketing methods. What was the worst? What marketing approach did not work?
0: I would say I'm probably a little unique in that um, from the beginning, I've really relied on um, the basics. I've never been an agent that put my name on a shopping cart. I've never been an agent to do any kind of that gimmicky type marketing. I've always been a very basic pretty logical thinker as far as that goes where I always wanted to really see that I could it's always been very important to me to know that if I spent marketing dollars that I would receive those marketing dollars back in business so from the very beginning I've been highly focused on making sure that I made wise investments versus just throwing money at some form of marketing that I wasn't sure if it will work or something like that I haven't really been an agent that did that so for me, that I, I really can't say much of anything have I done that I really regretted because I didn't really take um, risks and chances like that.
1: Do you try to contact your database through social media, online social media?
0: Yes, absolutely. I do a ton of social media. I will say this past week I've got this great idea of doing some video blogging and I'm going to, my plan is within the next 30 days to start implementing that. Where, really, I feel like I get all of these questions from sellers and even from buyers, and um, I feel like your average agent doesn't know how to truly advise people. Do they need to sell or do they need to rent their house? And I want to start um, kind of a video blog um, answering some of those questions for people and and my opinion on what they think they need to do. But, yes, to answer your question, technology is a huge part of um, my business and social media as well.
1: Are you on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, any of those?
0: All of the above. Um, I don't do as much on Twitter as I need to be. Literally, I have a 30-day goal on the social media side of things, too. I do a ton of Facebook and things like that, and I need to integrate Twitter into it. But the, the plan is within the next 30 days to have a very clear um, social media marketing campaign. Everything is going to social media, you know, where we have people that can scan the codes um, with their iP- iPad, iPhone, um, to see the virtual tour and information on homes. We're, we're going down that path of becoming so much more um, tech savvy. So, yes.
1: Are you currently generating business from online?
0: Yes, this past month I listed a house from a guy that I went to college with. Probably haven't talked to him in years, and he just sees me on Facebook. We're friends on Facebook. He Facebooked me and said, hey, Christina, I'm selling my house. Can you come talk to me? So I'm in touch with people that I know but I don't know very well but that see what I do and see my business and see me um, being successful and then call me off of that.
1: On Facebook, do you have a personal page and a business page?
0: I kind of was up in the air on what I was going to do as far as having a personal page and a business page. A lot of people were advising not to have a business page, just have a personal page and kind of intertwine the two of them together. And that was my plan, and that's what I currently have is I intertwine the personal and um, the business together because in our business it is all about the relationship. However, I have decided um, very recently that I am going to have a business page uh, and I am going to start, you know, really working the business page pretty hard as well as my personal page, but not as much on the personal page with business. And um, I kind of changed my mind on that after going to a a social media um, training course. And I really think it's important to have a business page and a business presence it's so funny, now that I've become a mom, I'm into all these different things that I never had any idea that even existed. And um, there's this company called com and they have, all they do is sell children's clothing online through Facebook. It is absolutely insane. Um, they have 29,000 likes on their page, and they will put up a $75 dress for 30 $30 and they will have 450 comments trying to buy that dress. They basically do auctions on Facebook. So I started really realizing that having people like your Facebook page, you could do all kinds of really creative things through real estate, and I had no idea that people even did things like this on Facebook. So I have all these ideas with social media, that I think um, we I know we're going to kind of implement into um, our business plan over the course of the next year. So, to answer your question, I currently just have a personal page. However, in the very near future, we're going to have a business page and really start focusing on launching that and getting as many likes as possible and start really marketing that page.
1: What happens? when somebody raises their hand and says, yes, I want to buy or sell, how do you capture and track that person and that information?
0: We have sort of an old school way and a technology way of doing it. Uh, I keep, I have of course an iPad and I keep a long list. I have a note, if you will, in my iPad of all the leads. Every lead I give my buyer agents, every lead that I have, and I hold my buyer agents accountable. Um, what has happened with so-and-so, and we have a meeting where I hold them accountable to, did they convert that lead? Was it a sign call? Did they convert them? Um, was it a web lead? Did they convert them? Was it a warm lead from a past client? Was it a seller that I just sold their house? So I hold my team accountable for the leads that I give them, and I kind of track them through my iPad. And once, they, once we meet with them and we get their information, they automatically go into Top Producer. So whether we sell them a house or not, if we know them and we build a relationship with them, um, let's say that something happened and they lost their job or something happened where they didn't end up buying or selling, um, you know, they still go in our database. As soon as we meet with them, we always, first thing we do is get all of their information and they go in the database um, because we build a relationship with them and we've we've met them. Um, And then I also have a huge whiteboard in my office. And it's just, I'm such a big visual person. I like to see everything in front of me. So I can see um, on that whiteboard, everybody we're currently working with on the buy side and on the sell side, and then potential leads um, I have up on a whiteboard as well.
1: You're using a manual system as well as a technical or electronic system. And that whiteboard is showing... Who your current sellers are, who your current buyers are, and your future business, your leads that you're trying to pull into the system?
0: Yes, and anyone under contract.
1: Are those on separate boards or is that one giant board?
0: We have separate boards. We have two very big boards. And I feel that it's so motivational when my team and I can see where we are and where we're going right in front of us every day when we walk in that office.
1: Do you just have the names of the clients listed, or do you also have notes on that board that you keep tracking, for instance, when they're gonna close and what their price is, or any other information other than their name?
0: Yes, on our current sellers, we have name, address, MLS number, price, so we can see all of our listings right in front of us. And then if we have anyone under contract, whether they're a seller or a buyer, we note B for buyer, S for seller, and we have their name and then their closing time and day. And then on potentials, we just have a list. And a lot of times we'll put dates beside them. For instance, sometimes I have sellers um, who we need to do a lot of work to their house and their house may not be going on the market till X date. We have a target date when their house is going on the market. We write the dates beside them. Or if we have a buyer that we met today who may be in a lease for six months, we write that date and we write lease for six months. So we know when we can be expecting to put them under contract or list their house. Also, have the other visual thing that we have in our office, we have a big calendar um, for two months up. And that's where we write all of our inspections, all of our due diligence dates, all of our hard dates that we need to know for everyone. Um, We have it in Top Producer, so it ticks up and and it tells everybody when we're in Top Producer. So we also have it in our database management program, but we also have it up visually in front of us at the office. So if I'm on the phone with someone, I know exactly when the home inspection is, and I can just turn my head and look. So can everyone else in the office. So we have it you know, on a manual board as well as in Top Producer.
1: I'm going to assume that the benefit of the manual board is if that board starts to lighten up, if there are only a couple names on there or no names on there, that might motivate you to start working harder.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Keeping Everything you're doing in the forefront of you. If you see, we don't ever have it, but if you see someone that there's no one on that board, I don't allow that board to get empty. The board does not get empty. And the more people we have on that board, the more excited we all are. I go, look at our board, look at the great business we have ahead of us. I mean, it's just a motivational thing.
1: Good. So you point that out to the team as well.
0: Absolutely.
1: Do you have a target on each of those boards? You want to get to 10. Sellers under contract or work with seven buyers? Is there a number target you're trying to hit on that board?
0: Each one of us have our own individual goals. So the goal on the listing side is to always have 20 in inventory that are not pending, you know, to keep 20 active listings. And um, my buyer agents have their individual goals of what they would like.
1: You're focusing on the listings right now?
0: Yes, I do strictly the listing side of the business. I will say I am contemplating just to keep myself in the game, if you will, to doing a couple of buyers a year, just to keep on top of everything that's going on um, on the buy side. But I do um, mostly listings and a couple of buyers here and there.
1: Let's talk about sellers. How many listings do you currently have?
0: I think I have 12 right now, 12 and I think eight pending. I have to pull it up and look at it, but what I'll say is, is we, I go through this huge cycle of, we list ten and then we sell ten, and we list ten and then it's it become. I will say that I shifted my focus probably about eight months ago from a single agent approach where I was by myself and it was just me doing the buyer and seller side to a strictly listing-focused business as well as buyers for my buyer agents. But for myself, I focus primarily on the listings. And then I am a rainmaker for buyers for my buyer agents. But what I'll say is it's been a transition period for me because when I was doing this myself, I would say 75% of my business was buyer business. So I have had to basically grow that listing business um, you know, from nothing to what it is today because I wasn't a listing agent Eight nine months ago, whereas um, now I'm starting to get phone calls of people that have seen my sold sign saying, "I want that sign in my front yard." I saw you sold, you know, the house down the street in eight days. You know, can you come talk to us?
1: How did you make the transition from a single agent doing everything to an agent who now wants to start a team and do, a, in your case, a listing focus? What was involved in that transition?
0: Transitioning from a single agent to a team has been, um, it, it, it is a time-consuming transition because you need to be very prepared. You need to understand what you really want and where you want to go. Um, you need to understand what type of people you want on the bus with you and what your buyer agent looks like, what your um, you know in-house staff looks like, and kind of really devise a real plan. So that's what I did last year was I kind of took a step away back from the business to figure out where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. Um, And I decided that I wanted to, you know, grow a team. And I've hired two buyer agents, and I've got Susan, who's full-time in my office as well. So what it really took, I'll say, is it's not easy because you have to learn to give up. You have to start learning how to train, how to motivate and how to manage um, versus you just relying on yourself. So I'm not a real estate agent anymore. I am a team manager, I am a trainer, I am a motivator and I am a rainmaker. So you have all of these different hats that you wear when you build a team and you need to be prepared for that because if you don't have, if you don't train your people and you don't give them the tools that they need, they, you're not enabling them and helping them to be successful. So if you don't manage everyone properly and set goals with them and have expectations, it it doesn't work. So there are so many different things that you have to think about when starting a team um, and be prepared to wear all those hats and plan accordingly. Um, just hiring a team and saying, all right, go out and sell doesn't work. So I took a step back and got very purposeful about it and kind of started one step at a time. And the first step was, taking Susan, who who is already my full-time assistant with me, getting her on board with us starting a team, talking with her about what she envisions it looking like, and us kind of going from there, and then finding the right team members as, a, as buyer agents, then training them, helping them set goals, holding them accountable to their goals, and holding them accountable to the production level that I expect and they expect.
1: How long has Susan been with you?
0: This is year three. Year three with Susan, and... It's so funny how we started out. She started out part-time, and we've grown from there. I knew I needed some help, but I wasn't really ready to commit to a full-time person, um, and she grew into full-time real quick.
1: How did you structure that initially with her?
0: Let me first kind of go back and say that it's not easy getting the right team members. You have to be very focused on finding the right people to be on the bus with you. And if you don't have the right people in the right seats, you will not you know, thrive and be successful. It is very difficult. So, so if I can give any advice, take your time in the hiring process and do it the right way. Make what I call a missing persons report. And um, this is what I did. I made a missing, well, first I made a bad hire in hiring an assistant. She was fabulous. I loved her. I liked her. We were so much alike, we didn't work that well together. I knew after I, after I had her um, working with me for some time, we both knew it wasn't working because we were so similar, she couldn't fill in in the places that I wasn't good at. So it, it didn't work. I made a bad hire. So I kind of took a step back and said, how do I do this the right way? And the right way was I sat down and made a list of everything I was looking for in um, my closing coordinator. Susan is what I call my client care specialist because she does everything. She does the, the listing. The, she, she does she has every aspect of my business right now. She's not just a closing coordinator or, um, you know, just a listing specialist. She kind of is, is everything right now. So I took a step back and made a list of what I was looking for for that role. And it started off as just a couple of things, and it started off really about a a 20-hour-a-week job. Um, And I knew I needed probably a a 50-hour-a-week person, but I wasn't ready to make that step and that commitment. Um, So I tell everyone, don't look at hiring your first assistant as this huge expense, and think of it as a year expense. You've got to be slow to hire, quick to fire. If it doesn't work, you've got to stop. But what I did is I made that missing persons list um, of what I was looking for, and then I brought Susan in along with about five to eight other people and interviewed them. I didn't hide to them what I was looking for. I think people make the mistake of saying, I want someone who's organized. I want someone who's detail-oriented. Are you detail-oriented? When you do that, they're of course going to say yes. So what I did was I kind of did the reverse. I asked Susan what she was looking for, how she would describe herself, what she wanted in a job. And then I know, I saw that that was really in line with what I was looking for. I also did a disc test on Susan as well as some other people that I was interviewing. Um, I am what we call a high DI. So I am very driven to the point, but I'm also a people person. So but what that means is I kind of lack some of the detail-orientedness oriented, that I need, um, and Susan was the complete opposite of me. So she had the S and C and some I, so we complemented each other really well. So I saw that on paper um, of what her personality test looked like, and then I saw what her goals were, and they were in line with mine, and we, we've been a great fit. We, we like to say that we were separated at birth because we think so much alike.
1: Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. How long was she part-time? When did you start upping the hours very quickly um the way we set it up originally was that she would start part-time
0: but she had the ability to work full-time and she would you know be open to working full-time and like myself susan's family is very important to her and it is very important to me um during the school year she does she does um lunch duty at her children's school three days a week that's fine. She leaves three days a week, comes back, she does carpool. We have a a unique setup where she still gets to have her priorities with her family and also have a job that allows her to do that. So I will say she transitioned from part-time to full-time pretty quickly.
1: In those early years, the part-time situation, did you set it up so that she worked a few hours every day or just a certain number of days during the week? It
0: started off as a certain, certain days and then trickled into every day and then trickled into all day, every day. <laughs> and um, the way I have it set up with Susan is um, I pay her base plus based on production. Um so for instance last month I think we had twelve closings. So she got a bonus on every single closing. So the more productive we are as a team, the more she makes as well. And she loves that. School's getting ready to start. It's it's a great nice bonus, you know, for the kids. Um, you know, to go buy, buy back to school things.
1: When you say a base, is she being paid hourly or salary?
0: She has chosen how she'd like to be paid, and we do hourly. I have opened it up to her of how she wants to do it, and that's how she's selected to do it, and that's how we do it. So um, I like, you'll find with me, and um, I'm, you know, I think she'll be with me long term, and I think she's very happy. And I am always, um, I have a base of how I like to do things, but I also like to work hand-in-hand with my team to ensure that they're happy with kind of how we structure things
1: a lot of people have made that bad hire. How quickly did you identify that it was a bad hire and how quickly did you sever the relationship?
0: I knew within the first 30 days it wasn't going to work. I knew that um, we just weren't a good fit. Loved her, thought she was great. I think she really liked me. And you know, for, for us, I really sat down with her after um, really the first month and it wasn't like You know, it wasn't like we had a conversation where I said to her, you're fired or anything like that. I looked at her and I said, are you happy? And do you think you're able to um, complete the tasks of this job and that this is going to work? And she said, no. She said, I don't think I am what you're looking for. She goes, I don't have the detail skills. She goes, I think that it's just not a good fit. And I said, I I would agree. So she knew just as well as I did that it wasn't a good fit.
1: So an open heart-to-heart conversation, revealed the problem, and you both solved it. Exactly. Let's go into today, you're building this team. You've been building it rather rapidly. You have Susan. You've brought her in and made her full-time. She is your client care specialist. You've mentioned you also have two buyer agents. How did you find your two buyer agents?
0: I have a very good friend in the industry who is, um with another company, and we're we're just we're good friends and um she's got a big team, I think she closes two hundred and twenty five transactions a year, and um she's like, I have found the perfect buyer agent for you <laughs> and um, she wasn't at a point where she was hiring anyone else and um, I met Jenny through her. Um, She knew I was looking, and Jenny and I met, and we interviewed together. did the disc test, did a lot of, you know, kind of back and forth between what she was looking for, and then, you know, to see if that was a match for what I was looking for, and worked out beautifully, and she's been with me almost a year as well. How
1: about the second buyer agent? How did you find uh, that person?
0: Same way, another good friend in the industry who um, wasn't hiring buyer agents referred her to me. That was Trish and I will say she's very sick right now and so she's not really um, she's not been working for a couple months now so she may transition out of the business because of health reasons um, but she's been a phenomenal asset to our team and been just really truly a great team member and we're we're hoping she gets to feeling better here soon um, but she I met her as well through through another agent, so we really just have producing myself and one buyer agent. Um, but I have two buyer agents, and one that really is kind of on sick leave right now.
1: It's sounding to me like you generate your business and you've created your staff through a network of personal relationships. Is that correct?
0: Yes, I am very, very, very relationship-driven. Everything I do is about relationships. I I really and truly care about the people in my life, just like my sellers and my buyers, people that work with me and the people that are around me. Yes, it's all relationship driven.
1: The buyer agents that you brought in, how are they experienced or are they brand new?
0: Both experienced. Jenny came from a new home sales background and I have a very specific system um, for buyers um, where we do a buyer consult first. We don't go out and just unlock doors. And so it was a transition um, because both of my agents are experienced. And so we had to kind of take steps back and say, okay, we don't just take someone and go show them property. The the proper system and the proper steps were taken. And now, um, you know, I can't they, they can't even imagine doing business any other way.
1: Is everyone on the team licensed?
0: Yes. Including Susan.
1: Susan is licensed as well. Yes. What was your motivation? Why did you decide that you wanted to build a team rather than continue on as an individual agent?
0: I closed 46 transactions by myself. And it was fun, but it wasn't fun. I did not have the life that I wanted. I was, I felt like working myself crazy. And I realized that I either had to give up my quality of life and work crazy hours or I had to build a team of people that I trusted and wanted to be in business with where we could all work together and accomplish the goals together. So my motivating factor was knowing that my husband and I wanted to start a family and I wanted to spend time with my baby Addison that I have now that's four months old. I didn't want to be working seven days a week from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. So it was leverage for me. Leverage, starting a team was all about leverage for me.
1: Is that working? Is your production up?
0: Yes. Production is up 30% from this time last year. And we really have just kind of started really rocking and rolling as a team because we had to kind of take a step back and I had to train them. And, you know, we had a lot of steps that in starting a team and any time you grow, you have to take a step out of the business and work on it and then back in the business. So um, it's been a little transition, but yes, production is up and we are, you know, rocking and rolling.
1: Have you leveraged yourself some more time. Have you been able to achieve that goal of getting more time back for your family?
0: Absolutely. I'm working, you know, like I said, three to four days a week versus seven days a week all day long. You know, so it's it's been phenomenal. Yeah, I, I feel like I get lots of great time with my, my family and, you know, still producing, you know, the level of that I want, and you know, I still want to produce more, but, um, but I'm still, I have you know, achieved that time that I was looking for.
1: And now that we've talked about the team, let's go back and talk about sellers and your listing system.
0: The goal is to keep like 20 to 25 in inventory at all times. So right now we've sold a few and, and I want to keep 20 in, in inventory at all times. That's kind of my goal.
1: Why is that your goal? How did you arrive at that number?
0: I kind of backed into it. How many I need in inventory to achieve my end goal? Of the plan was to do sixteen million this year, so I backed into it by deriving from the sixteen million to how many I kind of need in inventory at all times to sell on the average, and whatnot. So, I reversed into it from my production goal.
1: Why do sellers hire you? What is your competitive advantage?
0: A lot of sellers choose to list their home with me over other agents because my industry statistics of average days on market and average list price to sales price are better than your average listing agent. Um, but I also bring um, to the table and a wealth of knowledge in preparing the home for sale. Um, My statistics show that my homes sell for a higher value in a fewer amount of days than your other average agent. What I do is I go into a property before it goes on the market and we make sure it is perfect. We make sure it is staged from top to bottom. When buyers have 50 choices, they have the seller has to be perfect. I like to explain it to my sellers in that it's a beauty contest. If they don't get all dressed up, they're not gonna win. So I like for my listings and my properties to just look phenomenal. And when they do, my properties sell. And and sellers see that. They see they're starting to see my sold signs out there in neighborhoods. For instance, I just sold a house that was on the market for a year before. I sold it in twenty days for the same list price. All we did was go in and stage it and change a couple of things.
1: Are you performing the staging or are you hiring a professional stager?
0: I actually have someone who helps with the staging, but Susan and I are doing it. And then we have a part-time person. We have a storage unit full of staging items. Um, So we're doing it in-house right now. And I have an interior design background. So I can see very easily what needs to be done. And a lot of it is kind of I put on my sellers. I give them, once they decide to list with me, um, I give them the list of here's what you need to do. And they do most of it, and then we come in and bring in our orchids or you know our ribbons around the towels and, and, and things like that. So a lot of it is um, we put back on our seller's plate, but we give them the service providers to do the granite, the hardwoods, whatever needs to be done, if light fixtures need to be updated. We have a whole team of people that do those things.
1: Are you charging any additional fee for staging? It's a part of my service. You mentioned a warehouse where you're keeping items that you'll use for staging. What's in your warehouse?
0: Oh, mm, lots of agents want to go to my warehouse. (laughs) Um, I have a storage um, unit, if you will, full of lamps, towels, rugs, shower curtains, orchids, Um, kitchen items from towels to cookbooks to martini sets to wine glasses, all kinds of items just to stage people's homes. When a, when a house is vacant, we stage um, like the fireplace, around the fireplace, the kitchen and the bathrooms just to draw a buyer's eye around the home and give some visual interest and in a little bit of hominess. And when a house is occupied, we stage every single room from top to bottom. We do not put items in that could be used. So we won't put up like shower curtains and things like that in occupied homes.
1: Do you have furniture that you'll place?
0: We do not do furniture it's just it's just too much to go that far. We do not do furniture more just um, light staging and accessories. but it's so funny. I will um, do a seller's home we'll we'll stage it and um, they'll they'll be gone that afternoon, and we typically do it when they're not home, and that way it's done and I kind of forewarn them that you know we'll make a pile on your center island of things that need to be put away or Um, We give them a list of things to do first, and then we come in and stage kind of behind them. And I have sellers call me and say, oh, my goodness, my house looks phenomenal. We had no idea it could look like this. So it's so funny, the response that I get from my sellers once we stage the house.
1: Is it difficult to have them maintain that state?
0: It is, um, but I set the expectation with them up front that they have to that there is no room for any um, slackness, if you will, on maintaining the home and keeping it prepared for showings. And I tell them and I sell them hard on if they do it um, up front and they keep it nice and pretty and perfect, they'll sell faster and then they won't have to worry about it. And, And the way I set up my listing appointments with sellers is We don't really talk numbers on a listing appointment. What I do on the listing appointment is I talk with the seller about what I do and why they need to hire me. And then I ask them, do you think I'm the right agent for you? And they say yes. Then we get into the numbers. I separate hiring me versus pricing it. Those are two totally different decisions they need to make a decision on who the right agent is for them and who the right fit is and then we talk on numbers and things like that and we 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 figure out the numbers on what their home should sell for and the pricing now let me take a step back in my pre-interview with my sellers if they are so upside down um, I may not go on the listing appointment if they can't sell um, if they're not in a position to sell So I do talk some numbers on where they are and what they owe on the property before I go on the listing appointment um, to ensure that it's not a waste of my time.
1: Let's start from the beginning. Someone contacts you, says they want to sell their home. First of all, who's taking that call? Are you talking to that person or is your client care specialist talking to that person?
0: I am talking to them.
1: Who sets that appointment?
0: I set the appointment.
1: You just mentioned that you have a pretty extensive questionnaire that you go through before you'll set that appointment. What type of questions are on that questionnaire? What are the main things that you want to know before you'll go out?
0: I really want to know why they're selling. I really want to know what they're trying to achieve. I want to know, um, you know, have they been on the market for sale? Um, Have they tried to sell the house recently? Why the house didn't sell? Um, You know, things like that. I want to know kind of the logistics of what they're trying to achieve. Do they need to sell? Are they, um, what do they owe on the house? Are they upside down? What are their expectations of a sale price? Um, I really just ask a lot of different questions and I kind of run down my list and Sometimes some questions lead into other questions. Right now we have a lot of couples that are divorcing or separating, which is a whole nother, um, you know, layer of questioning and, and kind of determining where I need to be and if I need to go on the appointment. And, you know, a lot of times I'll gather all this information. Then I'll go and do the research on the house and see kind of what my thoughts are on pricing and things like that. And if I don't think it's going to be something that's feasible, like if they owe – you know, 400 and the house is only worth 350. I'll call them and say, "Okay, I've been doing some preliminary research. What are your thoughts on what your house is worth?" And a lot of times they go, "We know we're bringing 60 thousand plus to the table." Sometimes they go, "We have no idea, Christina. We we don't know." Um, and I'll say, "Are you prepared to be able to bring money to the table if you sell?" And and I kind of had those conversations with them.
1: Assuming that's all working out well and it looks like you want to set that appointment, how long do you set your listing appointment for? I'm typically
0: there 30 to 45 minutes. Sometimes it's an hour. If they're interviewing other people and I'm determined I'm not leaving there until I get it, sometimes it can take longer.
1: (laughs) Do you ask them that question in your initial interview, whether they're interviewing other agents?
0: A lot of times what I ask them is, Will you be prepared to list your house when we meet tomorrow night, or are you prepared to put the house on the market when we meet? That's what I ask. Um, versus, are you interviewing other agents? Because I don't want them to think, oh, maybe I should interview other agents. So I ask them a question, and and they'll they'll say, no, Christina, you know, we're actually talking to two other agents after you, so we won't be ready to list, or you know, no, we're just really, it gives me their motivation as well. So I don't ask them if they're interviewing other agents. I ask them a question that will get me that answer because I don't want them to think, oh, we should interview other agents.
1: If you discover that they are interviewing other agents, do you have a preference for whether you're the first agent, the last agent, or somewhere in the middle?
0: You know, it's so funny you ask that question because I never know. I just go whenever I book it. Um, I wanted to be the last um, for some time, and then sometimes they listed before I could get there. Um, that first agent reeled a man and got them. So sometimes I think it's better to be the first. Sometimes people are adamant that they're going to interview three. I think it can go anyway. way. Um, you know, a lot of times I think the last agent will get it. So sometimes I'll ask to be last. It just really depends. Um, I I don't know the answer to that um, because I've seen all different things
1: happen. Do you send a pre-listing package out before you go on the appointment? I do not. When you go on the listing appointment, do you use the canned or a standard listing presentation?
0: I have a listing presentation, yes. I would not call it canned, but I have a listing presentation that um, I take with me on every listing appointment, yes. It is a presentation that really um, talks a lot about what I do, why they should list their home with me, and why they should hire me. There's also, um, it consists of a lot of market data on a lot of people are selling right now that bought in 2006, 2007, which was in the bubble. I have graphs of the bubble and where we are now and things like that that are very useful. I show them um, my marketing and and whatnot. So yes, I have a standard, a set listing um, presentation. Sometimes I will take something different. For instance, if it's a million-plus house, it may be, um, you know, I do a little different marketing and I bring a different marketing package to show a different marketing strategy on a million-dollar home.
1: Do you present your information with paper or do you use some type of electronic format?
0: I have both. I will tell you it depends. It depends on who I'm meeting with. Um, I have recently gotten quite a few older clients that, you know, they don't do e-signatures, they don't do text, they don't do a lot of the technology-based things, so um, I do a lot on the iPad and I do some that are, that are in print, so it just depends on who I'm meeting with.
1: How do you handle price objections from the seller? The market says they're at 350 and they want 425
0: And I think that that's one of the biggest obstacles is pricing a home right in our market and pricing a home right as an agent. Um, So many agents don't price homes properly. So many agents just want a listing, so they'll price it at whatever the seller wants. I will not take a listing if it's overpriced. Um, It's just a waste of my time and a waste of their time. And I do not dictate a price to the sellers. Um, I give them the data. I show them the data on the pricing. And I show them the data on what the market is dictating. And usually they say, so because I make it so clear of what their market value is, they can't say, well, I want, they, they would be stupid to say, I want to price my home at 425 because I would show them the data and lay it all out for them, to where all they see is I can't get a dime over probably three hundred and forty thousand. So obviously, three hundred and fifty is my list price.
1: How do you handle commission objections? Commission is percent,
0: and um, a lot of times I will tell you people don't even ask me my commission. I would say probably thirty percent of the time that they do, and we have the conversation. And my conversation usually is the, is with them: Are you concerned about the commission, or are you concerned about the dollars at the end of the transaction? And a lot of times they say, "What do you mean, Christina?" And I say, "Well, let's say you've got another agent here who says they'll do it at percent, and let's say you've got me, and I my fee is for services." percent so let's say that percent agent is a weak negotiator only sells five to ten houses a year and doesn't know how to save you money on repairs and repair negotiations doesn't know how to negotiate top dollar for you so at the end of the day you're taking home ten thousand dollars less than you would have taken home with me so and and I go kind of through those numbers and walk them through that and then i I also have questions, and I have you know scripts and dialogues that i that I talk with them about you know a percent agent, someone who says they'll list your home percent I show them how the percentages work out, how automatically percent goes to the buyer's agent, then you're left with percent so that is all I have to market and sell your house, to pay all my fees. And I go through it all and then I say, so what do you think that agent is negotiating on? Is that agent negotiating on the money that they feed their family with or are they negotiating on the money that they use to market and sell your home? They're going to negotiate on the money they use to market and sell your home and they're going to be less effective. So there, I have all different types of tools and all different types of scripts to discuss with um, sellers about why they need to list with me for
1: You're getting these homes sold. Sounds like you're beating the averages. How are you doing that? You've mentioned staging. You've talked about pricing. Is there anything else unique that you're doing?
0: I tell my sellers there are three things, three puzzle pieces, price, condition, and marketing. Price is what it is. You've got a price right. Condition, we will help you get your house in the pristine condition that this market takes to get your home sold, and then marketing. Most agents do the three P's. They put the sign in the yard, they put it in MLS, and then they pray your home sales. I do what I call the third P. I prospect for buyers. There are lots of different ways, and I'm going to talk to you and explain to you about how I actually seek buyers out for your home. I actually go out and try to gain buyers to come into your property. Most agents don't do that. So I, talk, I discuss with them how I do it on the technology front. How I, you know, back into buyers that are looking for homes in their neighborhoods. I also tell them that I call all the agents that have sold in their neighborhood in the past year personally. A lot of them I know, and I say to them, "Hey, Miss Smith." This is Christina Valkanoff with Keller Williams Realty. How are you? I wanted to call and tell you about this great new listing that I have coming on the market. I wanted you to be the first to know. I saw that you just sold 123 Main Street in the neighborhood, and I know you're a neighborhood expert, and I wanted you to know about this home in case you have any other buyers that are considering this neighborhood. So I call agents that sell primarily in that neighborhood and let them know about the home. So there are all these different avenues that I prospect for buyers as well. There are very few agents, if any, out there that'll do what I will do to get your home sold for a short amount of time for the most amount of money.
1: You show them your stats compared to the averages. Yes. It seems to me that by stating that you're going to call all the agents in the neighborhood that have sold a home in the last year, you may be working around the objection of the seller trying to hire the top agent in that neighborhood by stating that you're going to be contacting that top agent.
0: Well, sometimes, like right now, I'm becoming the top agent in some of the neighborhoods. So, you know, a lot of times they ask me, um, you know, they'll say, well, why should we list with you over so-and-so? And, you know, I personally will never say anything negative about another agent it is just not good for our industry um and and i just won't do it i will state the facts of why they should list with me over someone else you know and you know the the type of service that they'll get from my team and i and i can almost guarantee you that other agents don't do what i do every single monday sellers hear from me they hear from me or from Susan on their feedback. They get their feedback automatically. They get text. They can choose how we get the feedback back to them. The first Monday of every month, I don't know of any agents in our marketplace that do this. The first Monday of every month, every seller that I have gets what's called a monthly market update where we send them a, um, I have kind of a template that I use for every house that came on the market in their area, every house that was reduced. Every house that's sold, every house that's pending, how many showings they've had, how many um buyer inquiries we've had, basically a market update on their house every first Monday of the month, so that we can keep a good pulse of what's going on in the market. I don't know any other agents that do that. you know there are all these things that I bring to the table that a lot of agents won't do and don't do.
1: When the offer comes in, who negotiates that offer?
0: I do. I negotiate all offers except buyer offers. My buyer agents negotiate their own buyer contracts.
1: Once you put that property under contract, is that when you hand it off to your client care specialist?
0: Yes. Once I negotiate the contract, once we get everything agreed upon, then Susan kind of takes over from there. Um, She has again, a system of weekly follow-ups with all the lenders on the, for the buyers on the, the listings because if something's going to fall apart, it's going to fall apart because of the buyer's financing. So we try to control every aspect to – Get the results that we want, um, which is a closed transaction and a closed transaction on time with everyone happy. So we try to stay on top of the buyer's lender and ask them, hey, where are we this week? Do you have any updates? Are things going well? Do you foresee any issues? You know, we stay in touch with the lender. So I hand everything over to Susan, and then there's a system that she follows once I hand everything over to her.
1: During that under contract phase, who handles the inspection negotiation?
0: I typically do. Susan can. It just depends. Sometimes if, if there's only a couple of things, Susan will handle it. Um, most of the time, what we do is we automatically, when we get the, the request, we send our repair guys out to give us estimates. So we automatically just get estimates on any on everything so that then what we can do is talk with our seller and show them the dollars and cents of what everything's going to require to be done and then we negotiate the repair response. So Susan sends out our repair guys to get us estimates on everything and we address everything um, as far as what it will, would look like for the seller then we start our negotiations.
1: Do most of your inspection negotiations end with the work being done or some type of cash or credit settlement?
0: It goes both ways. Sometimes buyers would prefer a credit. Um, Sometimes we see we have difficult buyers that no matter what we do, they're not going to be happy. So we see the writing on the wall that it's probably better to negotiate here's the value for the repairs and you can do them yourself it really just depends but you know i typically um you know coach my sellers that you know you want to put yourself in the buyer's position and you want the buyer to be happy when they're buying the home so we want to you know negotiate repairs in a manner that everyone is satisfied and everyone's happy um including the seller and the buyer so i'd say it goes both ways
1: for your sellers, do you attend the closing?
0: No, and neither do my sellers. I would say just a couple of sellers a year go to closing. Um, some sellers that may have been in their home for 30 years or something like that, most of my sellers do not go to closing. Most of my sellers sign their deed and lien waiver early, and then we we sign everything early, and then we have everything for the buyer at the attorney's office. So usually no one goes to closing. It's all signed beforehand. And that's pretty typical of our market here locally.
1: Do you do anything unique or special for your sellers? Any type of gift at that closing or after that closing?
0: Not for sellers.
1: Let's switch our attention, our focus over to buyers and talk about your buyer system. How many buyers are you currently working with?
0: Oh, I wish I had my board in front of me. Um, we currently probably have... 10 to 15 buyers in the pipeline right now.
1: Why would a buyer hire you? What is your competitive advantage with a buyer?
0: We have a very systematic approach in helping buyers. Um, We currently, you know, we have buyers that call us and say we're interviewing agents. We have never not won um, when they're interviewing agents. We always win. Very few agents do what we call our buyer consult we sit down with buyers before we do anything with them. We talk about what their goals are, what they're looking for, why they want to buy, and we really educate them on the process. If they haven't bought before, if they're a first-time home buyer, it's a really big educational process. If they've bought and sold several homes, it's more about identifying what they're looking for and putting them in touch with some of the best service providers as far as lenders and things like that, and really starting to implement ideas on the buyer search. So we take the time to sit down with the buyers up front and let them know that we really care about them and what they're looking for and we want to help them achieve their goals. We're not just an agent that's going to go and just open doors for them and then write a contract. We're going to negotiate the best price possible for them. We're going to show them the cream of the crop listings. You know, we, we identify and we show them what value we're bringing to the table to them at that, that initial consult and very few agents do that. Most. Agents agents just sit on the phone and say, well, what are you looking for? Okay, I'll email you some properties. How about we meet Saturday and go look at them? That is not bringing value to the table. You know, they are hiring us to be the real estate expert, and we've got to show them our expertise.
1: You're having an initial conversation with the buyer over the phone. You're going to gain some preliminary information, and you're going to set this buyer consult is that appointment going to happen in your office at the buyer's home, the first property? Where is it going to occur?
0: We have this conversation a lot on our team. Most of the time, it occurs either at our office or um, sometimes if a buyer is like getting off work, um, we may meet them at a coffee shop. We may meet them at Starbucks. We will meet them, um, you know, in places where you can sit and talk at a Caribou Coffee or something like that. Sometimes. I'd say 50-50 it happens in the office or, you know, somewhere off site to just kind of hang out and relax and talk about the process and about what they're looking for and kind of setting everything up with that buyer. So not necessarily the office. I'd say, I'd actually say with my buyer agents, it's probably less than 30% that it happens at the office.
1: After that initial buyer consult, are your buyer agents scheduling to go look at homes immediately after that appointment or at a later date? typically
0: a later date because what we like to do is um, a lot of times buyers aren't qualified yet when they come to us. If we know they're already qualified and they've already talked to the lender, Um, The buyer agents may set up, you know, to go look at properties right after that. But a lot of times, I'd say 95% of the time, if they're in town only for the weekend, yes, they're going to go immediately after that and look at property. Um, But the big thing is we'd like to find out all these things in that initial interview so that we can really be prepared when we go out that first time, so that that first time going out, you know, is really a a very, um, you know, productive visiting of houses versus just picking things off the internet based on what you think they want without even really having that conversation with them
1: in North Carolina do you practice buyer agency or buyer representation
0: yes we do practice buyer agency
1: are you trying to get a buyer agency signed during that buyer consult absolutely will you show a buyer homes if they have not signed that buyer agency agreement, the
0: kind of rule and understanding on our team is, if it's like a sign call, and you talk to them and you built some sort of rapport with them, and you can't get them to do a buyer consultation, and you can get them to, sh- you can show them the house and kind of feel like you might can start getting a um, relationship with them, you can go show them one maybe two houses. Sometimes when it's a cold lead, you do what you can to build a relationship over the phone, and sometimes you have to show them a property or two to start building that rapport with them. If it is a warm lead or someone that was referred to us, we always, always, always sign a buyer agency and we do a buyer consult first. If it's a cold lead and we can't get them to meet us at Starbucks or something like that, there's a little bit of a different set of rules because those buyers don't always work out to where you can make them meet you somewhere. They may just want to see the property, but you know, you've got to ask the questions. The buyer agent has to ask the questions, you know, how many properties have you looked at? Okay. Well, have you talked to a lender? Do you have a home to sell? They have to make sure, you know, that they should go show the house. And, and that I've taught them the scripts to know whether it's going to be worth their time to go show the house or not.
1: So the buyer agent is showing property Is the buyer agent also negotiating the contract?
0: Yes.
1: Once it goes under contract, it'll go back to the client care specialist?
0: Yes.
1: Does the buyer agent attend the inspection?
0: Yes.
1: Does the buyer agent negotiate the inspection?
0: Yes.
1: You've been running this operation for a while. You're now trying a new method of structure for your business. Are you profitable?
0: Yes. What's the point if you're
1: not? Would you mind disclosing to us what your profit margin is as a percentage of your gross revenues?
0: I've been following what we call the millionaire real estate agent model for my financials. And it's in the millionaire real estate agent book. um, And I have a chart of accounts where I track everything in and everything out um, very diligently from um, lock boxes we purchase to signs to postcards to postage to every, you know, copies and prints, everything that we, you know, spend money on we track. And I'm trying to get that number um, of a round base number of where I am of percentage of what it costs to run the business versus what we make. And I'm thinking, and I've been working on this a lot lately, looking at the numbers and really analyzing, and I think it costs. And, and you can't quote me on this just yet because I'm I'm in the, the early stages of really tracking this, but what we have found thus far is it's about 30%. And what we're, we're transitioning into is taking basically 30% of everything we make and putting it into an operating account and that covering everything. And I think it's going to work.
1: So you're thinking about taking 30% off the top and putting it into a reserve. Now that 30%, will that cover all your expenses or just everything other than your people? Uh, What does that cover?
0: The way I've got it calculated right now, all expenses. And this is a new thing, but that's what I'm thinking. That's the way it's looking right now.
1: So you're thinking on your initial plan, and we realize it's in its uh, infancy, but you're thinking that you're going to end up with a 70% profit margin. Yes. Wow. That's fantastic. I hope you hit it.
0: Yes, me too. But we are right now. It's been working, but we haven't cycled it through an entire year. Um, And the the thing is, is you've got, and, and I've annualized it over a year and I think it's, it's going to be right on point because you'll have some months that it's not and some months that it is, depending on what you bring in. Um, You know, some months you bring in a lot more than other months. So when you annualize it, it should work out. Um, So we've been, you know, really working on that. But I I think it's, it's pretty true to the numbers. And um, one of my really good friends, who's another local top producer, um, you know, works for her business. So that's kind of where the idea originated from. And I've been working on it and looking at it from there. So,
1: Are you also putting money aside into reserve for income taxes and other type of taxes? Absolutely. Yes. Let's talk for a moment about motivation, goals, and the middle game. What drives you? You know,
0: I've been trying to figure that out. I have all of this drive and this energy and um, a lot of of just sheer excitement about the business and I love what I do and I, I'm a highly driven person. And um, I've been doing a couple of programs where, Everybody says, Christina, what drives you? Christina, what drives you? And I will be honest; I'm trying to figure that out. I, I think it might be a combination of things. Um, I, I'm, I'm working on it. I, I wish I knew the answer to that. I, I think that a lot of I'm, what I'm driven by is, you know, setting a goal and reaching it. Um, I'm, I'm driven by, you know, the excitement of helping people and knowing that I'm helping them achieve their goals. And, you know, it's been an ongoing thing that I'm trying to really pinpoint what motivates me, but I think it's a combination of
1: things. Christina, why are you successful?
0: I am successful because I really and truly love and enjoy what I do. And I really and truly help people and I do what I'll say I'm going to do. Um, I think that my clients trust me and know that I'm always going to do everything I can to help them and make sure that everything is in their best interest. And I think that my clients see um, my joy and excitement for the business, and I think they kind of borrow my confidence in what I do um, to help them get through the process. So I think that my confidence in what I do enables them to feel confident and comfortable with the process and then refer me to other people.
1: If you were to advise a brand-new agent just getting into the business, what would you tell them to do first?
0: When I first got in the business, I did things completely the opposite of what people tell you to do. When I got into the business, instead of going after everyone I knew – I was you know, 22 years old when I started in the business. No one that I knew viewed me as a real estate professional. I was just young Christina. So instead of building my business with people I knew when I first started, I went out and I borrowed listings. Um, from people in my office. I picked the cream of the crop listings that would generate phone calls and generate business for me. And I marketed those listings like they were my own. They gave me permission to do it. And I started building clients that were strangers to begin with and started establishing myself as a knowledgeable realtor first and foremost, with people that I didn't know. And then people I knew started seeing how much business I was doing, how successful I was, and then started to, wanting to do business with me because then they started trusting me, knowing that I was a professional. So my advice would be I did it a little bit differently where I, I kind of um, I used people I didn't know first to build a business and build a reputation, and then that allowed people I knew to trust me and do
1: business with me. Well Christina, the last year has been full of change. Driven by the desire to spend time with your new daughter, you transitioned your business from the single agent model to the team model. By leveraging yourself with people you gain time to spend with your family. You are working towards the prized goal of a balanced life for yourself and your team members. Thank you again for being our rising agent of the month. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward.
0: You've been listening to the Mastermind Agent, Interview of the Month Club where top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com.